Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know how to navigate the changing marketing jungle. Today, I'm going to be joined by Ron Callis, and we're going to explore how to adopt AI inside your business. If you lead a company or you lead a team or you're in a team and you know that AI needs to be integrated into all that you do, this is going to be the episode for you. We are going to talk about some really fascinating things with Ron, who's got an 85-person company, and he has ingrained AI into all aspects of his company. This is one you're going to want to listen to to the very end because there's so much stuff that we talk about today. By the way, I'm at Stelzner on Instagram and at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. Also, if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. Click the follow button in your favorite podcast app. Let's transition over to this week's interview with Ron Callis. Helping you to simplify your social safari. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Ron Callis. If you don't know who Ron is, he's the founder and CEO of One Firefly, an agency that specializes in helping small businesses with AI adoption and marketing. His podcast is called Automation Unplugged. Ron, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Thank you, Michael. Happy to be here. Super excited you're here. Today, Ron and I are going to explore how to adopt AI inside your business. If you've been thinking about like, how do I do this inside the business to change the way we operate as a business? You're going to love today's episode. Now, before we get into it, Ron, I want to know your story. I want to know how you got into AI and marketing and start with marketing or whatever journey you want to take us on and then lead us up to kind of your, your story on how you started adopting AI inside your company. Sure. Happy to. I went to school for mechanical engineering, graduated out of Virginia Tech back in 2000, if you had asked me up until that point of graduation, I would have told you I was going to land in the aerospace industry, you know, interviewed with all the typical Lockheed and Boeing and, and NASA and all of those people. Ultimately and randomly got plucked into an industry by a technology company called Lutron. And they ended up bringing me into an industry we call the custom integration industry. Fast forward to 2007, I actually launched an engineering business, not a marketing business. And that engineering business had me serving these small businesses, we call them custom integrators, the same businesses that I had been serving on the manufacturing side, I now was gonna be providing engineering. And what I learned very quickly in launching that engineering business, and I was all in, I'd cashed out my little retirement savings, I had done a friends and family round of funding, I had signed a three-year lease before I had my first customer, do not advise that, by the way. 
and I was all in. And I learned very quickly that I needed to help my customers improve their branding and their marketing, the way they presented themselves to their customers. I needed to help them improve that in order to have a chance that they would know how to sell premium engineering services. I needed them to buy my services, mark it up, put it as a line item on their proposal. And I only realized after I started the business that they weren't very good at that. And so through persistence and stubbornness, I said, well, I don't want this engineering business to fail. And so what happened is a marketing business was born. And initially, I hired a web designer and graphic designer, and then there was social media, and then there were copywriters. And one day, I I woke up and I had a marketing agency. And fast forward to 2015, and really taking a good hard look at the business and what's working and what wasn't working, most of the parts of the business were actually not working as well as the marketing business. The marketing business was profitable, it was scalable, it was recurring. Oh my goodness, I remember the first of the month in those early years, how thankful I was for the first of the month and that I'd be able to charge credit cards and collect fees versus all of the project revenue and the other parts of the business. And so it was when we closed down the engineering business and the programming and consulting and doubled down on marketing that along with my senior leadership, we just focused and said, well, we want to be the best marketers serving this niche, serving this customer. And so all of our decision-making was around designing products and services to, to be best in class, to serve this customer to grow. And what's you know, maybe interesting is we did all of that without knowing what a real marketing agency is or, or how they operate. My source of information, Michael, was your podcast. Wow. And friends like Rich Brooks and his podcast and some of the other, you know, great podcasters out there. That's where I was getting my knowledge. And I was listening to your experts and I was building a set of capabilities. We ended up growing the business 20 to 30% year over year, 2016 to the present. We're now Inc. 5000 recognized the last four years in a row. Uh, we should achieve that again this year. And that's the the fast forward story. And you have, you have a, how many people on staff? Just under 80 people. Okay, cool. So now that's great setup for the AI side of the story. How did that come into the equation? Well, we all woke up, in my case, I would say December 22. So what the announcement around ChatGPT was made in late November. And I immediately started listening. I'm an avid podcaster. I, I, I do my morning walks. My routine is I, I walk every morning five miles. And so I'm always listening to you know an hour or two of content. And I started to hear about it. I was immediately maybe in the shock and awe of, of utter fear that my business that I spent so many years building was potentially going to be made irrelevant with these new technologies that were now available And so it was scary. I mean, there's no other way to say it than it was maybe utter fear. Maybe the the excitement about what would be possible came a little bit later. But, you know, my style is I run towards fire. And so I immediately started immersing myself into everything I could read, everything I could listen to, every expert, every, I say every loosely, but, you know, a lot of content out there daily, seven days a week consuming it. I'm in a mastermind, uh, multiple masterminds at this point, but I I was in a mastermind and I I talked to my peers 
what are you guys doing? And initially, I'll say in Q1 of last year, the answer was no one was doing anything. I was almost like the boy who cried wolf. I was like, well, what do you mean you're not doing anything? This could harm all of us in very significant ways. And we all started paying attention. Brooke here that does your your podcast here on social media, Examiner, Brooke Sellis and Rich Brooks and Andy Crestadino. And, you know, we mastermind every couple of weeks and uh, we all kind of immersed ourselves into the topic. I immediately started bringing it to my leadership team at One Firefly. And initially, I probably sounded like the boy that cried wolf. In the very beginning, it wasn't very sophisticated in terms of my approach. And and so I, I learned a lot. I've learned a lot over the last 12 months. But initially, I was bringing it to my leaders and, and expecting them to care about it as much as I cared about it. I was expecting them to be as excited and as fearful as I was. And I was maybe a little frustrated with the reactions weren't the same reactions maybe that I was expecting. And a lot of times when things like that happened, it's not their problem, it's my problem. I need to change, not the other people. And so we just started to to have mindful conversations at our leadership level, bringing it down to our our middle managers. You know, we're a virtual company, so our, our staff's located throughout North America. And in July of this year, 2023, we had an all-staff event. And at that all-staff event, we had a, a session, a major session, all-staff session. And, and I kind of went through my vision of the threats to the business and the opportunities to the business and that it was going to be all hands on deck. And a lot, a lot of work has happened since that point. For those folks that don't know about that other show, it's called the Marketing Agency Show that Brooke Sellis puts on. And that's where I first heard Ron because he came on her show to talk about AI in under the umbrella of marketing agencies. And I just loved what Ron was talking about. So we arranged to bring him on our kind of big show, which is this show right here, to really dig into all the concerns and questions that so many people are facing in any kind of leadership role. You know, there are people right now that are listening that are like you and, you and I, CEOs of smaller businesses. There are people that work for larger businesses, might be in a leadership role, like a director of marketing. There are people that are marketers working at agencies. There are solopreneurs are all over the map and they're all concerned about AI. And many of them are excited like I am about AI. But I want you to at least address this one question before we dig into the rest of my questions. There are some people listening right now that are not taking advantage of AI. They have chose to ignore it. What is the positive side of this? Why should they consider taking advantage of AI? I think AI enables us as marketers to deliver a significantly more impactful, higher quality product for the same amount of dollars, maybe in some cases for less dollars, than we do it when we're when we're purely operating with human talent or human capability alone. I mean, the robots, if you just look at the science of it, the amount of information and capability that they put at our fingertips, it's nothing short of awesome. It's almost hard for the human brain to comprehend what is now available to us. And the average person, I'll say the marketer, whether they're on my team or your team or whoever's team out there, comes to work, does their job and goes home and they check out. And not discounting anybody's work ethic. That's, that's a good thing to come in and do the job and then go and take care of family and friends and live your life. Well, the reality is 
these technologies and the capabilities that are now at our fingertips are, are superhuman. And it's intimidating because there's a fire hose of thousands of these tools that have been released simply in the last 10 to 12 months. And so it is not many people's first nature to jump in and start investigating tools in order to figure out, well, how do they need to disrupt their current processes? Maybe they might be judged negatively if they're over here experimenting when their boss or manager or the financial side of the arm expects them to get so much work done in a given amount of time. And so it is, it is and I'll just go to myself. Uh, this might be you know, maybe different once some might expect me to say, I'm not the person that jumps into technology you know, first, I remember my transition from PC to Mac. It was excruciating. And I finally did it. And then I, 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 had, I actually paid somebody to train me and coach me what buttons to push on my Mac just so I could get it right. And uh, it was very, very hard for me to do that. But this is different. This is the life or death of my business. This is the life. I believe that getting my team members to utilize this technology. We're going to deliver a better quality product. And we're going to make sure that we're not made irrelevant in this new landscape where the LLMs and the generative AI tools and capabilities are going to be likely, at least initially, wielded by the few because they're the brave few that are out there figuring it out. And they're going to have an opportunity to buy market share and gain status and market share in a way that those that have their head stuck in the sand are simply going to lose ground. I believe that, and I operate my company based on that. Every person in my company understands that I believe that. Every person in my company understands they need to be on board with me. You can't resist. Resistance is futile. <laughs> so if you resist, yeah. You won't be in my company. You'll find another Borg. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's my company. And if you believe that this is a bad idea, then you go start your company and you operate with, you know, your own methods and processes. And it's just, it's not saying that out of meanness or trying to harm anybody. I love my team. I love the fact that we have an awesome team and they have families and they take care of their children and they're buying houses and they're having babies and they're putting people through college. It is because of that, that I am driving AI into our business because I believe it is a high probability, right? I, I like the maths. It is a high probability that if we do that, we have a higher probability of succeeding in this new landscape. And I think that it is this is an exponential technology. And so things are changing at exponential rates. It's common, you know, the quote is out there. I can't remember, maybe Michael, you'll know who said this, but the, the general concept, maybe it's Paul Rotzer. And he says, you know, the version of AI we're using today is the worst version of AI we'll ever use. Well, the versions today, mid-November, are nothing short of mind-bogglingly awesome. And if we understand that that's the least powerful version of AI we'll ever encounter, then the, the future is going to be very, very different. And we have to embrace that. 
I'm happy to get into more specifics of what we're doing. I know I'm being kind of. No, I love it. This is spectacular. So I'm on board with this and I am in full agreement with you that businesses that embrace this new technology, which is not a feature, but it's, in, it's going to be integrated into everything that we do, will have a competitive edge. It's that simple. What I really want to ask you is the mindset, the thinking that we need to embrace, because some of the people that are listening right now have to persuade somebody up the chain, or they got to persuade their team to embrace this, or even they need to persuade themselves because maybe they're not fully mentally there yet. So what I want to know is how do we need to think? How do we need to think before we begin looking at using AI inside of our business? So a couple of immediate thoughts, a, a thought process that I immediately had when I learned about ChatGPT was the possibility that what if my customer does, which is generally a small to medium-sized business, you know, my, my typical customer ranges from maybe around 1 million in revenue to maybe 50 million in revenue. That's a typical customer at one Firefly. And what if they assign the role of marketing to someone on their staff, they point them at ChatGPT and they go, well, I clearly no longer need that firm services. What would we need to do to make that not true? I.e., what would be the skills or focused expertise, uh, the subject matter expertise we have at One Firefly, both around marketing and around the industry we serve, coupled with AI and the, the effective use of AI and, the, and a varied use of tools in the toolbox of AI that allow us to deliver a higher quality product than if our customer simply tried to do it themselves. And it's a fact in 2023, it's been a tough economic year. We've still managed to grow. We'll grow the business 20% this year, despite those challenges. But we, I know for a fact we've lost sales because our customer said, no, I'm good. I don't need you to write blogs for me. I'm going to do, I'm going to use ChatGPT. Or no, I don't need your help with social media because I'm going to use various AI tools to help with social content. And so it's just challenging my leaders and my leaders challenging their team to understand that they have to find the ways to make these tools enable us and empower us to deliver a higher quality product. Now that's, that's the mindset. I'll tell you also what not to do quickly. What I did initially, which I did initially is every new widget I found, every new capability I found, every new podcast or video, I was inside of my company Slack and I was hitting up various team members. I was hitting up my writers. I was hitting up my social team members. I was hitting up my web team members. And a leader on my team, actually my VP of ops, Andrew, he had a, a bit of come to Jesus with me. And this was early on in the year. And he helped me understand that although I, I might want to be affecting positive change in the company, I actually, in some regards, could be disruptive and even harmful. Because the reality is we're a pretty well-oiled machine. We're very KPI-driven, very data-driven in terms of times allocated to projects and KPIs for performance out of that work. And if I, the disruptor, which is sometimes my natural state for many visionary leaders out there, that can be a very natural, comfortable state for them. It can be very disruptive to the producers on your team that are trying to get their job done. And when they're trying to produce the product that our customers have paid for, 
for them to be exposed to some new piece of software that might be different next month or next quarter. And for them without rules or guidelines to know what to do with this new fingled shiny object, it can cause frustration. It can cause fear, anxiety. It can cause a lack of efficiency in producing their job because guess who was bringing this to their attention? The CEO was. Well, I guess I'm supposed to do it because the CEO brought it to my attention. So just full circle that, that helped me and I worked together with my leaders realize there's better ways. There's better ways to bring these ideas, sandbox them, test them out, R&D them, and then ultimately winners move into the production, the production SOP. But it's, it's not as simple as pointing these new tools to the team members and expecting them to know how to operate. I could also give you the inverse. It's my opinion that simply telling them to go and experiment and go find tools and find ways to do your job better without rules or guidelines or a rubric of how to, to look at and interpret tools, how to understand what is in the company's best interest, what is scalable, what is going to protect my company's IP. There's a lot of things to consider when you're implementing these tools. Yeah, and we're going to get to that in a little bit. I want to just add a couple of my thoughts because I have, like you, made the mistake of sharing these articles and blog posts with my executive team and massively distracting them. What I found is that I would work to find a particular challenge that this can solve. For example, producing articles from these interviews, for example. And I would show my editorial director how much faster it is for us to use certain kinds of tools to get a decently composed article, how in a matter of five minutes, for example, we could take the CS, the, the transcript from this, the closed captioning file, and literally produce an article that is nearly close to publishing standards, right? And then when I could show them what this makes possible, it's all of a sudden light bulbs start going off in their head, right? So I almost feel like you got to show people you got to show them here's what this does and here's what this makes possible for our company. Here's how this could benefit us, right? Now, all of a sudden we can do more or all of a sudden we can do them more cost-effectively, dot, 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 dot. Do you find that kind of rationale helps as well? A hundred percent. You know, I, I'm a big fan of Andy Crestadina and all the content that he's putting out. I mean, he went and had his content marketing philosophy completely disrupted by AI. And he's been amazing at giving back to the industry and experimenting, doing tremendous amounts of research. And then every time he learns something, he's out there capturing it and sharing it, capturing it and sharing it. And I initially found myself sharing some of his long form content to my team. And that was kind of in that disruptor phase. And what I found myself doing initially, we, we've, I think, become a little bit more sophisticated in our approach now. But initially, I would go in and I would actually do it myself. I would follow some of these methodologies. I'll just be specific around, for example, developing buyer personas using ChatGPT and then looking at you know that buyer personas or ideal customer profiles, issues and concerns and goals 
and then running the particular, say, blog article topic through that lens and ideating a whole list of great blog topics and really using these tools for thorough ideation and better targeting content to customers. And I would record myself in a three to five minute loom where I'm explaining it. And I would share that with not my whole writing team, but with the head of my writing team and saying, I'd love you to watch this. And I'd love to circle up and just brainstorm. What do you think about this? What might apply to some of the work that we're doing for our clients around these strategies? In other words, I'm not giving direction. I'm not saying go do this. I'm saying I love to I love to think together with my team. And so here's things to consider. And it doesn't happen in isolation, by the way, with just me. We've now expanded this company-wide and it's happening in all departments. But it, the, the concept is not making something the rule by definition, but considering and being comfortable. I'll, I'll back up here at One Firefly, we practice EOS traction. And in EOS Traction, they're big believers in, and I'm a big believer in Patrick Lencioni and a lot of his books and, and practices. And one of his, his books that we love, and we actually book club here at One Firefly is called Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Well, at Five Dysfunctions of a Team, your base layer is trust. You have to do the work to build trust with your team. Well, that means the next layer is healthy conflict. When you have solid trust across your team, now you in a very safe environment can have discussions, uh, I'll say maybe it's about the way we're doing delivering a particular service. And we can say, well, here's an idea to consider. And then people are very comfortable, even though I'm the CEO, they can totally disagree with me. And it's a safe space to disagree. I welcome people disagreeing with me because we, we try to practice this belief system around a meritocracy, which is the good ideas win. Not Ron's ideas, not Taylor's ideas, not Deborah's ideas, not Jordan's ideas, but the good ideas, the best ideas move forward and become policy. And so it, it is around this idea of showing ideas to consider, doing it in a safe space. I know we'll get into AI Council and kind of some of our rubric around doing that. And it's allowed us to start to really make traction around implementing these AI changes. In some cases, they're small. In some cases, they're swift. For example, you mentioned podcasting. I've been running a podcast towards the, the custom integration industry since 2017, and it's all been manual. But now with these new tools, it is amazing. Sounds like you guys are, are there as well around what these AI tools can carve out tens of hours in post-production. And we can put out more content higher quality content. So literally everybody wins in the ecosystem. The company wins, the audience wins. You know, it's, it's really neat what's possible. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the social media marketing podcast, not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the social media marketing society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content 
to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. There is a question that I know everyone is asking you, and I know that I want to ask you, and I know that anybody who's in a leadership position is contemplating this question, which is headcount, which really has to do with AI. It's true that AI allows you to eliminate a lot of contractor roles. It might even allow you to eliminate employee roles. It might allow you to hire less. It might allow you to have people do more than what was expected before. And a lot of people aren't willing to talk about this, but I want to talk about this. Like, do you hire less and augment with AI? Do you let people go? Like, talk to me about AI and headcount. So your first question is, do you hire less? The answer is probably. Yeah. The answer for us so far has been yes. Yeah. You know, we have made a, again, we go back to, I, I love my people and I love my team. I also love to run a very profitable business. Right. And I say that I've been 16 years as an entrepreneur. I did not always love to run a, a profitable business. I did not always know that I should run a profitable business. In the beginning, I thought just working hard was the rule of the game. Just can I work 80 hours a week? All right, success. And as I've gotten more gray hair and I've been at it longer, I've realized a sign of success for running a great business is the business is grow. I, I, I like to run a growth business, so I like to grow. And I like to run a business that hits profitability goals. Our profitability goals at one Firefly are minimum 20% net on the business. And this year, we will fall just slightly short of that. Next year, our forecast is we'll run, we should run, run well ahead of that. And so by understanding that each product at one Firefly has internal margin goals, so gross margin goals, that helps us understand whether that product is performing or not. So we have blogging services, we have web development services, we have web maintenance, we have email, social media, advertising. For our business, we have a CFO. He's, he's, his name's Taylor. He's been with me for, for 10 plus years. He's my right hand. And we run a tight financial ship at One Firefly. And we've learned how to do that. We've purchased lots of lessons along the way to learn how to do that. And so I'm, I'm focusing on this because the answer to your question is born in understanding that you have to know your numbers. And if you know your numbers, then you can make informed decisions about staffing or other related costs. Now, we're a, a service business, and so most of our costs are in labor. And so we are mindful of making sure we maintain profitability across our segments. Now, this year... 2023 is a down year for some of our product categories. And I've talked to enough agencies to know, I, I believe that to be pretty consistent across the country, or at least maybe around the world, but certainly here in North America, that seems to be pretty normal. Now we, One Firefly, have still decided to grow and managed to grow. We'll grow 20%, but that's because we saw this turbulence in the economy coming and we started building out different revenue sources. And so we've 
we've offset what is down with other categories that are up. And that was by design and that was put in place years in advance. We thought, you know, no, no economy goes up forever and no recession lasts forever. So it's just knowing these are predictable business cycles and just seeing that in advance. But if you then say, do we mindfully go into departments and cut headcount? We, I'm proud to say as of, of, you know, here in late 2023, we have not let go one person because of AI. Many people listening probably won't be able to say that. They might be out there to do a, I mean, because you there is an opportunity for a money grab for those that get AI figured out early that you absolutely theoretically, I'm going to say theory because I'm not going to practice this theory, but you could theoretically do significant labor cuts on your team and probably put that money in your pocket. Well, and let's be clear. Some people need to do this because there are businesses that are struggling right now. And they are over, they got too many people working for them. And the truth is that those jobs that they are doing were jobs that were for a different era. And now we're in a new era and those jobs must change. And that's the part of the equation that we have to wrestle with, right? Which is like, hey, we don't need information workers as much as we used to anymore. AI is going to take all of this work. Therefore, if you are not profitable, which there's plenty of businesses that are not, you should consider looking for opportunities to remain in business and therefore utilizing AI to reduce your operating costs so you can actually survive. And that's the truth. hundred percent. I mean, you either add customers, right? Let's say that you improve efficiency on the delivery of a service because you're now using these new tools that make you 50% more efficient, 75% more efficient. You would be a fool to keep all of your cost burden in place only for the sake of keeping all of those people on, on staff. And for any employer that's listening, you know that if your people get a better offer, sometimes they walk down the street, even though you've invested so much in them. And that's just, that's, it's business. It's not personal, it's just business. And that's for the employee. And as the employer, it's also business. It's not personal. So what you can do as a business is you can try to get more customers for that same service. So now you can do more of that product, deliver more of that product with your current resources or ability to produce the project. Or in some of the things that we're doing at One Firefly is we're actually designing and building new services and we're repurposing personnel so that those same people are now able to do more and they're actually able to help us deliver more and diversified products and services. And that is by choice, A, because we're a growth-minded company, and so we like to innovate and design and build new services. I think at this point, there is likely new AI-supported services that we will be launching next year that I can't even tell you what they are today because we, we just haven't fully baked it. And, and we don't know what we don't know here. At, you know, in some cases. Just to put a little wrap on that, my perspective is, hey, for all the marketers out there that are listening, you should, whether your employer wants you to or not, figure out how to be more efficient with AI because someday there is going to be a decision that's going to have to be made and your productivity improving is actually going to help you keep your job or keep your clients. That's the first side of it. The second side of it is the reason why agencies are struggling is not just because of the economy. It's also because of AI, and that's the truth. And there are a lot of companies that are taking things in-house 
and utilizing AI on their own staff instead of utilizing agencies. There's also services that are software services that a lot of people pay a lot of money for that they don't need anymore because of AI, right? So I think this is an opportunity to kind of reinvent the business and anyone who has got any operational mindset needs to understand that this is an opportunity for us to improve, for us to get our employees to understand the importance of uh, we're expecting more from you and we're not going to pay you anymore, you know, because these tools are going to make you more efficient. And that's just going to have to be a conversation you're going to have to have with people. What's music to my ears is when I ask a member of my team at any level, and I do regular one-on-ones up and down my full team. I, I do, you know, a handful of one-on-ones weekly. What I ask all of them, so what have you been playing with with AI? What have you been listening to regarding AI? What videos have you been watching regarding AI? What experimentation have you done regarding AI? It's not a good answer when they tell me nothing because I can only plead so much for them to understand the severity of the importance of our business embracing this change. And many will come along, and I'm speaking to everyone out there, many people will say, yeah, this is exciting. Many people will continue to ignore it until the last moment. And for some, that moment will be too late. The world's changing. There's no other way to say it. And I completely agree that we have lost business this year because of firms taking marketing in-house and leveraging it with AI. And in some cases, simply the confusion caused around this has caused sales. I think I'm going to pause for now. That big commitment I was going to make around my marketing, I'm going to make a smaller commitment now, or I'm going to make no commitment now because they're starting to go to conferences and hear about this. And it's in that noise is going to continue to do nothing but grow in the quarters and years ahead in terms of the role, the capability, the wow factor that AI can have in our lives, both personally and professionally. I'll just add one additional thought. I mean, as an engineer, what do you learn? What did I learn in school? Because I've never practiced engineering other than, you know, building things with my son in my garage. What do you learn? You learn to solve problems. You learn to break very complex, often scary, intimidating things into small bits and pieces that are solvable. And so that's at a high level what I would recommend to any manager, any person on their team that's trying to manage up, any manager that's trying to get their team on board managing down, is to just take the scary, hairy goal here of getting this implemented in the business and just break it into bites that are achievable, step by step, bit by bit. Okay. We're going to try to address three more things here that are important to think about when you're about to embrace AI in the company. The first one is experimenting without guidelines. We'll get to the next one after we talk about this first one. Give us some wisdom on the kinds of guidelines you recommend people place in place before people just start going out there and and running wild with experimenting. I'll say step one of a company embracing AI is this idea of education and experimentation. I'll call it dabbling. Listening, learning, watching, dabbling. I mean, I, I recommend everyone out there, if you haven't played with, you know, ChatGPT or Pi or BART or, or one of these things, you just need to do that. But when it comes to, quote, the experimentation that would potentially lead to product change or SOP change, product management evolution within your company, there has to be a rubric or guideline as to, well, who's in charge of that and what's the process they should be following. 
And so we follow a rubric where any product, let's say it's an existing product, every product has four stakeholders. Stakeholder one is the sales team has to be queried. And I'll just go down the line of these four stakeholders. And so the, the sales team gets to weigh in on any product change. You get to say, what do you like? What do you dislike? What would you want to see different? The financial arm of the business, the CFO gets to weigh in. If there's change to happen, what would, you know, what does the CFO want? What is the financial manager? Would they want a product to be produced more profitably, more efficiently? You also would go to the producers on the team and seek their feedback, right? What's working? What's not working? If we implemented change, how would that affect their lives? And then lastly, the customer. Could we ultimately do things differently that would allow for a product to be delivered at a higher quality or a product that would deliver greater value to the customer? So there's a principled role around product management, and that is separate and different from product development. Product development is something new that's being born in the company. Product management are existing products, and every existing product has a product manager, even if that's a fractional role for a person on our team. They might be an account manager, they might be a writer, they might be a member of the web team, but they also could be a product manager of said product. Well, that product manager then needs rules and guidelines. They, A, if there's going to be change or evolution, they have to know that they need to solicit that input from you know, the stakeholders as we described. And we also need to understand if we're to implement change, What's the financial impact of that? What's the threat and the opportunity to the business? For example, you at a macro level, you'd look at a business and look at all of your revenue streams within the business. Well, yes, we might be able to make AI affect this small piece of the business that has a very small piece of revenue. But if we go in and address this big piece of revenue, if this were to go away, this could harm the business in a detrimental way. Or if we were to implement AI, we might gain new capabilities that would present an opportunity for market growth, for industry growth, and for expansion of the business. And so the person doing the experimenting within the product team needs to understand that. So they, they can't just be say, hey, go experiment. Tell me what you find. There has to be senior level, senior manager support and guidance of that product manager. So there's clarity around if they're going to go down a path of experimentation, what would we hope to learn? I love it. Perfect. The next thing is intellectual property. Not everybody understands that when you put your private confidential information into these systems, you are essentially feeding the large language model and that data is no longer your data. Now it's part of the model. So how do we think about intellectual property? The first rule, and this goes back to just letting everybody in the company loose, whether it's with Microsoft Copilot or with the AI capabilities in, say, Google Workplace, it's understanding that and or guidance around ChatGPT and you know company-wide use of ChatGPT. There has to be the policy, both the internal policy around the use of AI and the external policy. So I'll start with the external policy. What are you telling the world? What are you telling your customers? Is your company's principles and beliefs around the use of AI in your work product? We've spent some time, we hired counsel to ultimately think through that with our leadership team, take that to our middle managers, and then take that to legal counsel, draft that policy, and now we have that policy as standard at one Firefly. 
at the end of the show, I'll, I'll give a handle to a web page. I'll put that AI policy on the page. And if people that want to check it out, feel free. If they want to take it, make it their own, modify it, feel free to do that. Within the company, you have to look at which members of the team are dealing with intellectual property that might be harmed or might be might put the business at risk if they are out there feeding this information into public domain LLMs or information that would now make that information available to everyone. And so it's really going department by department and making sure that conversation is being had and that all the team members understand the way to use that tool, whether that tool is a proprietary tool like a a Jasper or a handful of Writer or the other tools that are out there, or whether they're using more of an open source Claude or a ChatGPT. And you just have to do it eyes wide open. And so for us at One Firefly, that's just happening at a, a department by department level. And it'll also add that we have more room to grow. I mean, we're we're not done here. I'm not presenting ourselves as the experts that have everything figured out. We don't. We're a work in progress. But these things are actively being talked about and being worked through in a systematic way from senior management all the way down to the most junior person on the team. None of these conversations would be foreign to them. Okay, let's talk about it. You have AI counsel or AI team inside the company. Just give us a little bit on like what that is and why that's valuable. Yeah, we did. So we got this idea from you know the Macon conference we attended over the summer in July. The general principle is you need it's helpful. And it, it seems logical to me. The logic part of my brain goes, yes, this, this gives me a nice logical approach to this, is to have a council of critical stakeholders from different departments within the company that are assembled and their goal is to actually define the rules of engagement for the company around all things AI. So that all the weight is not on me, the CEO, or on the head of operations. And it's not on the individual product managers or department managers that are supposed to figure this whole thing out by themselves. That's not fair to them. Most of them wouldn't even say it's fun. So like, how do we give them a work environment that's safe and comfortable where expectations are clearly understood and the right to fail is fully accepted and it's understood how to operate? And in an ideal way, there's a sandbox where experimentation can happen. And so whatever product or application, whether it's products that we're delivering or it's internal processes where we're trying to implement AI into those internal processes, can we have a group effort around research around a particular focused topic? We come together, we talk about our experiments, we challenge each other on what has been learned, what has worked, what hasn't worked. And now this group a handful of folks, and they're from all levels of our company, by the way. It's not only senior executives. We have on our AI council, we have writers, we have web developers, we have project managers, we have our head of operations, we have our CFO. I'm on that council as well. And that council is now going to be the tip of the spear for one fireflies continued. Because, I mean, I believe we're still at the beginning of the beginning for where this thing's going. I think that I probably could not tell you today how my business will evolve 24 months from now or 36 months from now. I think it's hard to see the future. These things are changing so fast. But to have a, think of it as a a senior council of advisors from within the company, but when they're in this council, they don't work at One Firefly. They're advisors to One Firefly. 
and we are, are drafting policies and procedures for our team to follow and also giving our team that have questions a place to come to for answers. Outstanding. Ron, you have answered so many of the questions that I know are on the minds of so many people that are listening to the show. If people want to connect with you on the socials, do you have a preferred social platform? And you also mentioned that you had a resource page you want to send everybody to. Where do you want to send them? I do. If people would like to learn about One Firefly, feel free to visit us at onefirefly.com. We did build out a page with resources for listeners to this show. So it's onefirefly.com forward slash SME. And that page is available for anyone that would like to get a checklist. I think we're putting a number of tools and resources on that page. I'm sure we'll also be able to drop that link down in the show notes. But on that page, we're going to put a worksheet with top takeaways and learnings from One Firefly and our implementation of AI in our business. We've also partnered with a wonderful trainer and consultant that we have co-developed content and curriculum on businesses that would like further training on implementing AI into their business. And so they'll be able to register for that training. There will be a fee for that training. We're kind of buttoning up those details. They can check out our website. They can also check me out. I'm on Twitter, I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on Instagram. Love to chat with anybody that wants to chat further. Ron Chalice. Actually, I said it wrong. Ron Callis, thank you so much. <laughs> I feel like it's just a golden chalice is, is a, yeah, of wisdom that you've it. given us. Ron, thank you so much for coming on the show and answering all my questions today. We're better because of it. Michael, I've been a longtime listener. You and your guests have educated me more than you know. Frankly, the whole marketing business that is One Firefly was born out of the experts from your show. So you've been my guide for many, many years. At least I could do when you said, Ron, would you come on? I mean, of course, anything I can do to give back to the community. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 592. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us. If you've been a longtime listener, would you let your friends know about this show? I'm at Stelzner on Instagram, at Mike underscore Stelzner on Twitter slash X. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I am your host. Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. Thanks for hanging on for a little longer episode today. I hope you make the best out of your day and may your marketing keep evolving. Catch you next time. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.